Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Are you tired of investing your time and your energy into relationships that go nowhere and you know deep down the common denominator is you. You have awareness that whatever you're doing right now in relationships is not working, it's not serving you, and you are ready to take ownership of this area of your life and finally learn how to embody a securely attached, confident woman who can attract a great relationship. If that's you, I have a very special invitation I want to invite you to apply to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved program. This is a program designed to help you no matter your attachment style, no matter your relationship past, it will help you move to secure attachment so that you can show up confident, you can communicate well, you can navigate any kind of conflict, and you can create that relationship that you've always wanted while simultaneously having high self-worth and high levels of self-love. If that's you and you know that in 2022, you are ready for a great relationship and you're committed to getting there, I want to personally invite you to apply to the ESL program Use the link in my Instagram bio. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Morgan Coaching, Dr. Morgan Coaching, and the link is also in the show notes. Spots are extremely limited, so go apply now to reserve your spot and start your journey to high self worth and great relationships. Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have with us Ali Bonar. And we're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Fun fact, I was researching how to pronounce your last name before this, so I don't think I did it well, but... Oh, you're good. I mean, everyone says, I like in high school, it was always boner. So I'm like used to it, you know? Um, I'm like, I can't wait to get married. No, but um, it's pronounced Bonner. It's like, like, it's French. So I guess it probably is Bonar, like if you were if I was French and cool, but, um, you know, America, we just ruin everything. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just Ali Bonner, but you know, yeah, I, I'll well, take anything. We are so excited to have you. I do want to give the audience just a little intro, a little background on you, but I can't wait to get into our convo. So just a little bit about Ali. She is the CEO and co-founder of Oat House, a food company on a mission to bring fun and play back to food their flagship product, granola, bu- granola butter, which is delicious, is the world's first oat-based spread and was born out of Ali's eating disorder recovery. 
Oathouse is available at over 1,200 stores, including Whole Foods, Sprouts, Harris Teeter, The Fresh Market, and more. Allie lives in Philadelphia with her partner, Eric, and their dog, Squishy. <laughs> so happy to have you. Oh, thank you so much. So there's there's so many things that we can talk about, but I know one of the things that's really important to our community, and I think women in particular, is healing the relationship with our bodies. And I know that you've shared that that's part of what caused you to build your company. Um, can you share with us a little bit about your own journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's something that, you know, I think I was ashamed of and afraid to talk about for so long. And so it's really cool just to see how it created the company that, you know, we're running today. And so I just, I want to preface, you know, before I dive in, just anyone who's currently struggling um, or has in the past, you know, it's, I think it's painted and portrayed as this really negative thing. And obviously it's a very hard thing to go through, or if you're currently struggling, um, you know, not to invalidate that, but there is a lot of amazing things that have come out of it for me personally, just, you know, I would not be the person I am today without going through all of that, obviously. So I like to start with that just because I know when you're in the depths of it, it can feel so hopeless and just so kind of, um, you know, like you're stuck. And, and I know that feeling very well. Cause I, yeah, I struggled for over 10 years, uh, with multiple eating disorders. So the main ones, I mean, I dabbled in pretty much everything. Um, but the main ones I really struggled with were, orthorexia, which is, you know, this obsession with eating perfectly clean all the time, um, which really wasn't well known when I was, you know, struggling with it. And when I was growing up, I think it's becoming a little bit more, um, talked about nowadays, just because obviously with the rise of the wellness industry, there's going to be people like myself who just take it too far. Um, and so what that looked like for me was just almost this, um, kind of OCD type tendencies around food, right? So it was like, I had these really strict food rules and it wasn't so much about the calories or the quantity, but it was like the cleanliness of the food um, in terms of, you know, you hear like eat, you know, clean eating and all of that, clean ingredients. And so going out to eat was really stressful. I hardly ever went out to eat because I didn't know what was in my food. And it just was this kind of toxic mental prison that I had created for myself. So lots of food rules, um, I didn't eat like bread and I was terrified of carbs for a really long time. And so that, you know, mm. messed up my hormones and I didn't get a period for many, many years. I actually just got a period, uh, in 2020, which was like the first time in probably a decade. Um, so I'm healing my, uh, oh, my hormones. I'm so happy here just that we're talking about this. It just, it so needs to be talked about and I resonate with this so much and went through something, you know, obviously we all have our own um, journeys, but 2011, I know the three meals that I ate every single day and I kept it at 1300 calories. And I, I did that for an entire year. So I can relate to the rigidness and how that just steals your joy and not being able to go out to eat, et cetera. Um, but I'm just so glad that you're here and sharing with us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it really is. I think it's, it's that rigidness that, um, people don't understand because, you know, I was a nutrition student at the time. So just for some context, I was going to school up in the Bay area 
studying nutrition for my undergrad. And, you know, everyone would tell me like, oh, I wish I had your willpower. Like, you know, cause they knew I was a nutrition student and they only saw me eating like these really healthy kind of clean meals. And so they're like, oh my God, like, how do you, you know, they were actually coming to me. Like, how are you doing this? And little did they know I was in hell, you know, I was struggling in this prison and I wanted to be like them. Like I was looking at everyone else and you know how we were in college and they're just like, so freely, you know, eating whatever they want, not thinking about it. And I was like, God, I want to be like you. Um, so that was really sort of this, the irony that, you know, I didn't realize until later, but yeah, I can totally relate to that rigidness. And so I think that's really why the, you know, the mission of our company with Oat House is just helping people have fun with food and just lighten, you know, the grip on life and sort of loosen the reins around food and incorporating a lot of play and joy into eating is, is such a big, um, you know, important thing to me, because obviously I've been through that rigidity and it's not fun and <laughs> it's really terrible. So, um, yeah, so fast forward, you know, struggle with that for a really long time. And, finally sort of hit my rock bottom, um, around 2016, I believe. And I was just, I was living in San Francisco, working in tech and had graduated college. and was just like, I am tired, like mentally exhausted of doing this. You know, I'd been doing it for so long and I was just, you know, I knew there had to be another way to live. And, um, I was in my early twenties and I was living in San Francisco and I was like, you know, working in tech and it was supposed to be this like dream life. And I felt so empty and so depleted. And so I finally reached out for help, um, found this woman actually on Instagram who, you know, just was so disarming, just very approachable. I had never gone to therapy before. So I felt like therapists were these like crotchety old women who were going to be like judging me from, you know, behind their notebooks. And this person was very young and kind of, yeah, I don't know, looked looked like me. And so I was like, okay, I could relate. Like, I just felt this connection and Mm -hmm. I had a call with her and just spilled my guts, like everything that I had ever struggled with, with food. And that was, I think the biggest healing, um, took place right there because I hadn't told anyone. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, with eating disorders is feeling just so isolated and so alone. I mean, I thought I was the only one on planet earth that was going through this and it's like, LOL now. I mean, you know, once you start talking about it, people come out of the woodwork, people you would never expect. Um, even you bringing up, you know, your, your journey and your experience as well. It's like, yeah, we all have a story and maybe you haven't had to go to treatment or you haven't had to be hospitalized. I think food is inherently emotional and people, you know, they try to, um, yeah, they just try to manipulate it in different ways, you know, and, um, there is such a huge spectrum of disordered eating. And so I like to bring that up too, because for a long time, you know, I was never hospitalized for my eating disorders. Um, I could have gone to treatment. I should have gone to treatment kind of more professional inpatient treatment, but I looked, I was at a normal weight, you know, I wasn't emaciated. I didn't have that eating disorder look that I think we're taught when you're, we're younger of like, Oh, that person has anorexia. Um, you know, she's skin and bones and it's just this one look and eating disorders have come in all shapes and sizes. Like I was also binge eating a lot. And so yes, I was eating super clean, but then when I would have, you know, one little cookie or like one little thing that I didn't think was quote unquote good or clean, like I would go off the rails and I would binge for, you know, days at a time. So my weight was fluctuating severely. And I think, um, that also prevented me from seeking help for a long time because I was like, well, 
clearly I'm not, you know, doing it right. Or I'm not sick enough um, because, you know, no one even noticed because I looked quote unquote normal. Um, so that's something I also like to bring up because that was, that kept me stuck for a long time. But anyways, ended up getting, you know, seeking treatment. And then I was getting help for about six months. Um, and at the six month point, I had made some serious progress and I like to give a timeline because, you know, it's not something that happens or heals overnight, right? Like I'd been struggling with this for 10 years. Like, of course, I'm not going to, you know, six months is really fast. And I, I wouldn't say after six months, I was perfectly healed. It took years. Um, and there's still times, you know, to this day where it's like, I have the best relationship I've ever had with food, but there's little moments where it's like, those thoughts don't ever go away. I think it's just, you have the tools now to not, you know, fall down this spiral <laughs> down this path that I used yeah. to, of just being like, okay, you know, I think I look fat today. That's an interesting thought. So I'm not going to listen to that. And we don't have to go there. You know, I'm going to use my tools <laughs> that I've yes. learned and kind of move on with my life. Um, but yeah, it is, it is something that's just, you know, a journey. And, um, yeah. And so kind of where the, our company comes in was in my eating disorder recovery. One of the things I was terrified of was nut butters. So peanut butter, almond butter, all those, you know, oh, I just yeah. really terrified of the calories, you know, they're kind of more calorically dense food. And so I never ate them for years. And so part of my recovery was adding those back into my diet. And as I did, I had a really hard time digesting them. I mean, keep in mind, I was treating my body like trash for over a decade. So my gut health was not great. And, um, and so I sort of needed something in the meantime to, you know, I wanted to not give up on my recovery and just say, okay, I won't eat those things. And so my nutritionist who I was working with was like, well, maybe you should try some of the nut-free options. Like they have sunflower seed butter and soy nut butter. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't have a nut allergy, so I've never had to eat these things, but I'll try them. And I tried them and I was like, these are so bad. Like people have like kids with allergies have to eat these, like this, these are trash. And, um, I was pissed. I was like, I can't believe these are the only options. Like we've, you know, technology's created the iPhone. Like, why can't we create a good tasting nut-free spread? So that's kind of where, you know, it was out of my own necessity where I was like, I'm not eating these. Um, and I wanted something that really tasted good, had just like whole ingredients yeah. that made my body, you know, help my body feel good. Um, and so I had this epiphany to do an oat-based spread because it was 2017. Oat milk was like just coming, you know, coming in hot on the scene. And, um, yeah, and that's where the idea came from. So, you know, four and a half years later, um, here we are, but it's been, it's been a grind, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, that's the, the genesis of where it came from. Oh my gosh. There's so many gems in what you shared in your story. Um, one of the things that I think is important to talk about is the role of shame and how that can keep us stuck for so long. Um, and I think particularly with all the messages that we get about food, we can immediately feel shame when, when we're eating and how that just keeps us so stuck. Does that resonate for you? Like as part of your healing, really learning how to step into radical self-acceptance, radical self-compassion. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, shame is one of those, it's just the most insidious emotion because, um, yeah, it just, it makes you, it's so low, it, like, and I hate to be that, you know, 
California person that's like, that's low vibe. <laughs> um, but it is it's such a low vibrational mm-hmm. feeling in your body. And everyone has felt that feeling of shame. Like whether you're a little kid and your parents caught you doing something you weren't supposed to. And it's just, oh, it's like the grossest feeling. And um, yeah, I remember when I was binging, like my biggest nightmare would be someone, you know, catching me in the act. Right. And I, my partner, Eric, we've been together for like eight or nine years now. And um, he's also my co-founder. So we spend a lot of time together and, um, and he knows me so well. And I just, I felt like our relationship really didn't start seriously until I healed my relationship with food because I was living a double life and I was keeping so much from him. And even though he probably didn't realize it, um, you know, we'd been together for gosh, like three or four years when I, until I really started working on that. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's such a bad feeling and to hold that, you know, for so long, I think it can really eat at a person. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that I worked on or regarding shame was just being as open and transparent as possible. And I'm not saying this is the right path for everyone to start, you know, just laying their life on out there on social media. But I kind of like, I just started talking about everything. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I would binge, I would post it. I would like post on social media, like a picture of myself, just a selfie being like, I just binged on a jar of peanut butter. Like, here's how I'm feeling, you know? And it was sort of this personal diary through my recovery process. And I think that really resonated with people because, you know, vulnerability on social media is sort of cliche at this point, but you know, in 2017, it wasn't really what people did. People were still posting like a very aesthetic picture of their cappuccino and, you know, like a little Sunday fun day caption. And so like, it was just sort of shocking and raw for people to read that because I think, you know, we've all had experiences, you know, doing things that we would never share about. And so to really go the opposite direction and talk about, you know, I ate out of the trash or I, you know, binged on X, Y, Z, whatever, just sort of these shocking, like raw confessions, mm. it was almost like a confessional. Um, it, it healed me. And it was like, once, you know, of course it's scary to put that out there, but then once people were like, Oh, I've done that too. I've done that too. I've done that too. Then you're just like, Oh, like we're all just pretending like we're <laughs> the only ones doing this. And here we are, you know, like all struggling in silence together. So why not talk about it and why not yeah. um, bring it out into the open? And I think it's Brene Brown or someone who, yeah, basically said like shame can't exist shame and vulnerability like can't exist in the same space right and it's true it's like once you start talking about things then it just it takes the weightiness out of it and it just something that felt so heavy you know now i'm talking about it with you as if i'm telling you my coffee order this morning like it's just not it doesn't hold any power over me anymore which is so so powerful to kind of take that power back Oh, I appreciate this so much. I think we must be around the same age. I am 33. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm 29, but I'm too okay. young. Yeah. But just that awareness of social media and how it has evolved, because I remember going through a lot of the toxic relationship things that I went through and the Instagram we see today was not the Instagram that was happening then. And I do remember thinking I am the only person that is going through this kind of pattern over and over. And what is wrong with me that I keep dating these kinds of people, but I love your ability to be vulnerable for the sake of honoring your truth and honoring those parts of yourself and also connecting with people. Um, 
I remember connecting with your account, I think around like 2017, 2018, and just admiring your, your willingness to be vulnerable, not in a way, you know, I feel like some people use vulnerability as a way to try to like get followers, but for you, it has, it's always just felt authentic and like you're, you're letting us in to a part of your life with the hope that it brings people some healing. And I think it does. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. I I really do because I think I struggle with, with that. I think this trend of vulnerability on social media, because on one hand, I'm like, I'm glad that people are, you know, even if it is for likes or followers or whatever people, you know, do it for, at least it's, you know, there is some good to that of like, okay, well, at least it's, opening the space of not just being so curated and aesthetic all the time. Um, but then, yeah, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know. It's just, I think vulnerability has become almost cliche, which do, it is hard because it's such, it is this sacred thing where it should be yeah. like, you know, it's very like, okay, I'm watching, you know, holding space for this person really opening up. And um, so, yeah, I, I go back and forth on how I feel about it on social media. And interestingly enough, I almost feel like, I've taken a step back because, um, you know, with sort of, I just recently shared about my sexual assault healing journey and all of that, but I didn't, you know, as I was going through it, that actual healing process, it was November of last year until obviously it's still ongoing. And I didn't share about it until a few weeks ago. And I, um, yeah, I think it was, it was different for me this time around. It wasn't like my eating disorder where I was sharing about it, you know, as I'm literally healing. And in these like low points, I really had to kind of protect myself with this one. Um, And I don't know, I think it's the longer I spend on social media, the more I realize there are certain things that I, I can't share immediately and that's okay. And I think um, that's another thing I've noticed with, you know, Gen Z and people being on TikTok in this like next generation is like, I'll watch some of these videos that people share. And I'm like, this just should have happened offline. Like you just, you know, that you don't have to share every little facet of your life. And there's certain things where I'm like, oh, like that's a little bit like you're oversharing in a way that, you know, is it in you? And and everyone has their own threshold, but there have been moments where I've shared things and I'm like, you feel icky where, you know, you know, it's the right time to share something and you're sharing just to share or just to, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I love so that I you're that time too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you're talking about this and this so applies to relationships as well, but this idea of intentional vulnerability. And I think sometimes we're not really ready to share until we've done some of the processing ourselves and we realize what feels emotionally safe for us to share and, and what doesn't feel ready. So I love that you're talking about this, whether it's online or with a romantic partner, having intentional vulnerability. Like, I think it, it really goes a long way. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said that was so powerful because I think we need to talk about it. This awareness that the relationship with Eric for you, you felt like it started when you had healed the relationship with food. And I, I feel like that's so powerful because we all have these unhealed parts of ourselves. And a lot of times if there's parts of ourselves that are living in shame or parts that we've rejected, we can't fully connect and fully be present. So it's almost like fully accepting yourself and integrating those parts of you was required for you to fully open up 
your heart to another. Um, but I would just love to hear you talk about that a little bit more. Yes. Oh yeah. I, I was almost getting emotional as you were saying that because it's so true. Like, and I'm just thinking back and, um, I have a lot of like epiphanies when I do podcast interviews. I don't know. <laughs> it's almost like a therapy session for me. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, this is actually one of the first times I've even put these, put this thought together when I was, you know, it yeah. just kind of nowhere, but it is true. And it's like, you know, it's interesting because I have been in a relationship for a long time. Right. And it's like, I don't feel qualified to give relationship advice because I feel like everyone is in their own, you know, everyone's different. Um, but I do love sharing my experience because there are certain things I've learned along the way. That's just like, okay, probably would do this differently if I were to do it again. Um, and one of the things I've realized is especially very recently, as I've been going through this whole healing journey, mm -hmm. you know, the more I focus on myself and the more happy I am with me, our relationship just blossoms. <laughs> and I know this is probably like a no brainer, like, you know, basic, um, principle, but it was such an epiphany for me because I felt, you know, all of these moments where I, I, you know, would snap at Eric or like we would get in an argument about something. It was always because I was unhappy with myself. And the reason I mentioned, you know, I didn't feel like our relationship started until this point was because I just remember the first few years, you know, it's supposed to be this like honeymoon phase and you're obsessed with each other. And I just, I couldn't, I wasn't fully present for him. You know, I was so wrapped up in this secret world that he had no idea was going on. And, you know, I would love to actually ask him kind of what his experience was of it because, um, yeah, I just, I felt so absorbed by that, that I didn't have the capacity to fully, like you said, kind of give him all parts of myself and, and love him in the way that I think he deserved. And so, um, yeah, I've worked through in therapy, like a lot of residual guilt and shame from that. Um, but I think also relationships are such a mirror too of, you know, certain things that would trigger me about him. Like, I remember we went on this, um, trip together to Paris and, you know, when you travel with someone, you're eating like every, the same meals as them because you're with them 24 seven. And we were out, you know, sightseeing and, you know, you're walking all over the city and, of course, like your meals when you're traveling are a little bit different anyways, but he, all of a sudden I realized, you know, it's like, I'm starting to get pretty hungry. And I asked him like, Hey, you know, are, are you like, do you want to stop for lunch? He's like, Oh no, I'm not really hungry yet. And this was like, when I was like at the peak of my issues with food and I was so self-conscious about eating more than my partner. That's like a whole nother thing that I've had to like mm. overcome. Um, because Eric is just like, he's just one of those guys that like forgets to eat, you know, or he gets immersed in his work or something, whatever. And now I'm like, this is just who he is. And I don't have to compare myself, but at the time it was so triggering for me. And I was like, Oh my God. And I just remember like, okay, no worries. You know? And like, we've been dating for like two or three years at this point. Like I should have been able to be like, Hey, like speaking my needs, you know, Hey, I'm hungry. Like, let's stop. And he would have been like, no problem. But it just goes to show, you know, I don't know, just like, at that time, it wasn't in my vocabulary. And, um, and so we, anyways, it was the, one of the biggest fights we've ever gotten because, you know, a few hours later, and I'm like hangry at this point. I'm like, I need oh, no. to snap at him, you know, about something totally irrelevant. Right. And I was, I was like, how are you not hungry? Like, I'm so hungry. And he was like, well, why don't you tell me? <laughs> and it's just funny looking back because all of these like things about him were so 
like irritating to me and such a trigger. And now I realize it was just me projecting, you know, my insecurities onto that. And so anyways, yeah, I just, I think it's been such a learning lesson. Like the greatest gift that recovery has given me is the ability to be present in my life. And that hands down is just, it's priceless. Like, and I didn't realize how occupied, preoccupied my mind was until I stopped thinking about food all the time. And now it's like, you know, Saturday morning, I'm laying on the couch with Eric and Squishy and we're just watching TV. And I don't feel this compulsion to like, go work out or go, you know, do this, or, um, I can just exist and just be. And I think that that quietness of my mind has been like the biggest gift during this whole thing. Oh, it's so beautiful. What, what you shared and that ability to truly be present with the people that we love and be just present in the moment and feel into what we're experiencing. I mean, that's what life is all about, right? So what a, what a beautiful place to be at that you really can enjoy connection. Um, and there's, there's just so much here in what you're talking about and in realizing that a relationship can't give you anything that you can't give yourself. I always want to, to reaffirm that to everyone and that your joy is your job. Your, your healing is your job. And then when both people show up with that approach, you can really create something together. That's beautiful. That can be a multiplier of each other's joy, but there's no way that a relationship can come in and do all your healing for you or give you joy if you don't already have it. So I, I think even though it is that thing that we hear of like, Oh, you have to love yourself first. It's one thing to hear that logically, but it's another thing to actually internalize it emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, Eric was the best partner during all of this. And looking back, he didn't do anything. Like he just literally held space for me and, you know, loved me throughout the ups and the downs. And I think sometimes we expect too much of our partners too. you know, during that time, like, um, I think it's, it's just enough for them to be there and allow you to sort of go through your process. Cause you're right. It is such a individual thing sometimes being in partnership, but, um, yeah, but it was just, it was interesting looking back. Cause I was like, wow, you know, you, I always tell him like, you did so much for me. And he was like, I didn't literally do anything. <laughs> like You did everything. So, um, yeah, it is an interesting kind of dynamic when you're going through something like that. Yeah, this this actually is such a good point, I think, to touch on for a second of just how can we show up for our partners if they're struggling? Because a lot of us have that caretaker tendency or we want to just solve it for people. Um, but I like what you said about holding space. What would be your take on that? If you have a partner who's struggling, what's what's the best way that you can show up? Yeah. Yeah, it's I love this question because um I think say it's my eating disorder or more recently when I told Eric, you know, about my sexual assault, um, I, I think some tips that I would give to a partner, um, or to someone who is experiencing this and, you know, has a partner, um, would just be to communicate. If you're experiencing it, communicate with your partner, what role you want them to play in your life. Because I think, and in that, situation. Cause I think that was something I sort of set Eric up for 
failure when I told him about my sexual assault, because it was like, first of all, I told him from a very heightened emotional place. Like it was, I was very raw, you know, I had just sort of started talking about it, um, with my therapist and it was just, yeah, just very like emotionally raw place. And anything he would have said would have pissed me off. Like if he would have said no, no words and just sat there and listened, I would have been like, why aren't you saying anything? <laughs> Which is what happened. And then if he would have started asking me questions, I'd be like, you know, this is like too much. I don't know. So, so I think maybe, you know, getting to a place where you're a little bit more emotionally stable is important. Um, but also what I should have done with him is, you know, told him what I want him, um, what role I want him to play because you know, I don't like to gender stereotype, but I feel like in general, a lot of men like to fix things. Um, at least in my experience with relationships where, you know, women sometimes like to just be heard, at least I do. Um, and so Eric and I now over, it's taken many years, but now, you know, we've both learned that Eric likes to fix things. He's a problem solver. He's an engineer. And so I will, if I have a problem now, he's learned to ask me, do you want me to fix it? Or do you just want to be heard? And that actually is really helpful because sometimes I do want him to fix it and I do need a solution. And then other times I'm like, no, I just want you to be my sounding board. Um, but I think when you are the partner, it's super helpful to have that direction because, you know, when your loved one comes to you and has this big problem or has, you know, a, a traumatic thing that they've gone through, like, it's also sort of traumatic for the partner, I think, to because they don't know how to react. They don't know how to support you. So being really crystal clear on how to support you is great. Um, so I should have done that with Eric. Um, and then, yeah, I think just that's probably the biggest thing. I also remember when I was, you know, struggling with my eating disorder, like my mom um, felt a lot of guilt. And I think parents sometimes feel a lot of guilt. Um, you know, of like thinking it was their fault. And so I think that communication is also really helpful in that situation because, you know, I would go over for dinner at my parents' house. My mom would be like, Hey, like I'm making dinner, but like, you don't have to eat any if you don't want to, or like you can, if you, you know, and like, she just got weird. I was like, why are you being weird? Like you're making it, but it was cause she didn't know how to act. So yeah, I think the communication piece is so key for any dynamic, whether it's, you know, romantic partnerships or parents or friends. Yeah. Um, that would probably be the biggest thing. Oh, this is so good. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I love that you got to a place where you were able to share with your partner, because I actually think so many people don't get to that place mm -hmm. Women in particular, like we carry around a lot of shame about experiencing a sexual assault. So I just want to commend you for talking about it for getting to that place and then obviously learning through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually another thing I would say too, is, um, I think I mentioned it earlier with like the sharing on social media, but yeah, like when you're sharing these things with people, um, like I remember this after I had my, I did like a guided psychedelic, uh, journey that really transformed my healing journey. And, um, allowed me to get close to my sexual assault in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do sober. Um, cause it was too raw and you know, my parents were asked, how was it? You know, like, and all my friends were super interested in kind of hearing how it went. And I felt this pressure to share every little detail about it. And same thing with any, you know, a sexual assault mm -hmm. or eating disorder. And so again, it's like, you know, I shared every little intimate detail about my sexual assault with Eric when I first told him. And I felt like, 
that didn't serve me and it didn't serve him, you know? So it's almost like really taking a step back and thinking about, okay, what information is helpful for both parties and what do I, what can I leave out? Because sometimes there are things that, you know, you don't need to share because it doesn't help either person. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I talk a lot about building secure attachment with you and your partner. And one of the questions to have is, does this help us build secure attachment? Does this serve the relationship? And I think realizing that there are things that are for you and maybe for you and your therapist, and it's okay to have things that we don't share I, whenever I would date, when I was younger, I would always give the rundown of every single partner I had dated before my current boyfriend. And eventually Mm -hmm. I realized that really just came out of fear and anxious attachment and, you know, like wanting to not be abandoned. And, um, I realized your experiences are your experiences and you do get to intentionally share them with a partner and that's actually an act of love when we do that because we say, hey, you know, these are the things that actually matter to help our relationship. And there's other things that I can get support for in other places. So, yeah, that is yeah. Oh, so, so beautiful. I wish that I had. Um, and again, you can't go back in time, obviously, but I wish I had I had learned that, too, because, yeah, there have been so many. I think it's an interesting idea of people who overshare I think sometimes it, at least for me, it was a way of like people not finding me out. Right. It was like, well, if I tell you this information first, then, you know, like if I tell you that I hate my body or I tell you that whatever, you know, X, Y, Z, um, then it, I don't know. It's almost like this defense mechanism of, you know, it doesn't hurt me if you're the one who's it almost like, yeah, yeah I don't know how to even put it into words, but I think you are following my Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes unconsciously we do it as a way to say, well, Hey, you know, we have like this deep fear of abandonment. Right. And it's like, if you're going to abandon me, then do it now. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of people that overshare early on, that's kind Mm -hmm. of, it it can almost be an unconscious test as well to test and say, well, are, are you going to leave me if I tell you how truly horrible this thing is, you know? Totally. Um, Man, humans are fascinating, aren't we? Just the way oh, we, like, yeah. the so complicated. The things we do. <laughs> oh, it's wild. Yeah. But it sounds like you have gained so much awareness and you are this incredible CEO and you're also building a relationship eight years. What what do you think allows you to be co-founders? and partners. I'm sure you get this question all the time. People are like, how do you do it, Ali? Like, I know. what's the I, secret? Yeah. Well, I asked myself that question too. Um, it's, you know, I think in the beginning, I'm not going to lie. Like, first of all, we fight. We are not perfect. Like I don't want anyone to get any wrong ideas. There are days where, you know, I'm just, it feels like, why are we doing this? Um, but I think I have a few tips that I've sort of gained along the way. Um, in the beginning, it was definitely a challenge just adjusting to that. Um, and, and we've kind of gone through different phases of adjustment. Like as our company has grown, you know, now Eric and I don't like our company's big enough that I actually don't work with him closely. Like we have, we've managed different teams. Um, and so, you know, and I work from home and he goes to our office 
And so like, he comes home and he was like, how was your day? Like, it's almost like we've gone back to when we were in a nine to five um, situation, which is interesting. And we've had to kind of readjust to that because, mm-hmm. you know, when we first started our company, we were together 24 seven and that was an adjustment. So um, I think, first of all, we're always, you know, iterating and, and pivoting to not to use like business terms, um, but things are always changing. And then I think the second thing that's really helped us is um, when we started our company, you know, we kind of took a step back from like the romantic piece and looked at our partnership objectively from a business standpoint of, you know, what are, what are you good at? What am I good at? Do we work well together? Um, and really thinking about it as a business partnership and, you know, just very objectively, will this work? Um, and I think what really helps us is we're really good at compartmentalizing our relationship. So it's funny because our we have a third co-founder um, who went to summer camp with Eric and their childhood friends. So that helps with the dynamic too, having that third person um, sort of be our like mediator. But uh, <laughs> but he will always say to me like, you know, because I'll talk about things, you know, sometimes I'll talk about like, our sex life and stuff, just like with him. And he's like, I just never think of you guys in that way because, you know, it's like, so I think we're really good at compartmentalizing. Like, you know, when we're at work, we act like very platonic. And so that helps because I treat him like a co you know, a co-founder. And then when we get home, it's like, we switch gears into being romantic partners. Um, and that's taken work too. That hasn't happened overnight, but I think that's something really that, you know, focusing on the romantic side is actually the hardest. Cause I think when you're starting a business together, you get so engrossed and you're so passionate about what you're doing with the business that it's probably similar when you're, you know, raising kids or you just had a baby, like everything is about the baby. And you have to remember that, you know, you have to focus on the romantic side of your relationship too. So we put a lot of effort into that um, because otherwise, you know, then you just become roommates and, um, you know, there's no difference between having, yeah, just like a platonic co-founder and a a partner, a life partner. So, um, and then the last thing real quick is just, uh, we've actually just learned this very recently is um, we were putting off a lot of our life until this kind of, you know, end date, which is just some random, you know, idea in the future, who knows if it's even going to happen when either we sell the business or we're done with the business. And we, I I feel like mentally, both of us have kind of been like, okay, we're going to get married after the business is over. We're going to do this after the business. And I, I didn't like the feeling of putting my life on hold for some end date in the future. And so here we were building this business that was creating so much joy and fun for other people. And we were like, you know, not miserable, but like one step above miserable being just like working our asses off, never having fun. And so we've intentionally really started like going to concerts on weekdays, you know, we're um, planning and designing our engagement ring and we're moving forward on those big life events that I think we didn't think was possible while building a business. And then we realized like, wait, we can totally do this and it's going to actually help with our work-life balance. Um, so yeah, like continuing to build your life outside of the business because it can't become everything. And um, that would be kind of like my main tips. Oh, so, so good that, yeah, life is happening now and that you really can have all different areas of your life happen together. And actually when we focus on building secure relationships and great healthy relationships, they only add value to all the other areas of our lives. So 
I love that you talked about that. Hearing you talk about this, it makes me think about the quote that says something along the lines of you will have um, five to six different relationships in your lifetime. And if you're lucky, they'll all be with the same person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is really powerful. Yeah. Cause when Eric and I first started dating, like we were, you know, basically functioning alcoholics in college, like just partying all the time, you know? And then now it's like, it's just funny, the different phases. Like we always say yeah. that when we were to have a, you know, a, like yeah. a open to the future, just seeing where we are now, we would just laugh when we were 21 or something. So <laughs> I love it. And to me, this is some of the foundational things of a healthy relationship is that it's built to allow for growth, that the relationship can support evolution and you can grow together in a healthy way. Cause you mm-hmm. do, you have all these different ways of being and you grow together. So what, yeah. a, what a beautiful story. I really appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me and just giving me the platform to share. Yeah. yeah, such a pleasure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could just keep going, but honestly, this has been so great, Ali. I really appreciate you being vulnerable with us. That's the name of the podcast. Let's get vulnerable. And Perfect. I feel like you did it so well. And I know that people are going to get a lot of value just hearing your stories. So thank you. Thank you. Of course. Um, thank you. I do have one question I ask every guest and this one is just kind of fun, but if you're walking down the street and you just have a random person come up to you and they ask you for your best life advice, and it can just be of the current moment, doesn't have to be like all time life advice, but what would you say? Oh yeah. This is something that I'm (laughs) always working on. So don't think that I have it figured out. Um, it's something that I need to tell myself more, but I would say, don't forget to play is the biggest thing. Uh, at least for me, I find myself, I'm very good at a routine, very, you know, set in kind of a schedule and, and that rigidity we were talking about Mm -hmm. and just, yeah, always needing that reminder to incorporate play into my day. I love it so much. And maybe, you know, you can add some granola butter to that play as well. Yes, um, yeah. Tell people where can they connect with you? Tell us where we can connect with Oat House, all the things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, me personally, I'm on Instagram. It's probably the easiest. It's just my name, Ali Bonner. And then Oat House, our website is just granolabutter.com. Um, and our Instagram handle is oat.house and it's H A U S. Um, but you can find us at Sprouts, Whole Foods, Amazon, all the places. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Market. Yeah. And it is delicious. You guys, I'm obsessed. So go um, try it if you haven't, um, Ali, thank you again. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. And everyone, of course, we're wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. 
this podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.